Hi there. Welcome to Next Creator Up. My name is Aaron Prudell. Each week I speak with an emerging or established creator in one of numerous fields to explore their heart, mind, work, and process. Wherever you are in your creative journey, you'll get a number of tips and insights to help you get past your blocks and bring your ideas to life. Hey creators, before we get started, just a quick note. You can receive updates for the show, as well as special offers and exclusive content, including unaired lightning round Q&A by joining Creative Lightning. It's a free newsletter full of little inspirational nuggets that could help you bring your ideas to life. Learn more and sign up at nextcreatorup.com slash creativelightning. Sarah Potenza is a singer and songwriter out of Nashville who has a bold personality and a larger-than-life voice. Rolling Stone remarked that she is to blues what Adele is to pop. You may have seen her live at iconic venues such as the Bluebird Cafe and the Grand Old Opry, or on the eighth season of The Voice, where she got a four-chair turn and performed for over 12 million people. In this episode, we talk about her road from The Voice to finding her voice, and her new album, Road to Rome, which includes the powerful track, I Work For Me. Having overcome body shame, Sarah imbues her music with messages about self-worth and empowerment. I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging and honest interview as much as I did. Without further ado... Please welcome our next creator up, Sarah Potenza. Hey! Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This is really, really rad. I'm, I'm like working from my office today on the couch, like on a microphone with you. This is so great. <laughs> no, I, I share in the excitement 100%. I'm, I'm very, very excited to have you on. And I, I thought perhaps the most fitting way that we can start was with, um, you know, I do research for every episode, and then I came across your your tweet uh, for for launch day for Road to Rome. Oh, wow, cool! So, so, so since we since we live in the era where where tweets are the way in which we have official quotes uh, for the world, I figured why not start that? <laughs> yeah, we so do. <laughs> so you wrote uh today i release road to rome i wrote this album for you because i am you i've been shamed laughed at taught to hate my body and made to hide my spirit today i invite you to leave those feelings behind happy international women's day so a lot to unpack there but why you know when did you leave those feelings behind because it's clear from your music and your performances your larger than life voice that you've embraced your spirit and when did that happen for you what was the shift um it was about 2 years ago i was actually on the rock boat and i was the rock boat is a is a for those of you uh, listening it's a cruise um that takes place in february every year and um it's a music concert cruise it's a festival on the water and i was invited to be a part of um, what's called the sessions at sea at six man sessions. And what that is, is, um, they take a bunch of musicians and throw them all together. And they're like, Hey, write a bunch of songs together. And, um, and I, I was initially like really afraid to, to be a part of it. Um, because I don't like writing with other people. I'm like super private about that process. I'm super private about, um, I'm not even private. I'm just very like specific about what I want from the songs. And I was a part of that um, because it was an opportunity. So I was like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. And I met this guy, Justin Wiseman, who is a keys player from another band called the Rocket Boys. They're based in Austin, Texas. And he and I were assigned to write together. And it was so, um, it was so liberating in a way. And I was so loved by the people on the ship for the music that I brought that was mine. They were my lyrics and it was my music, but the collaboration, um, 
for the first time I was able to um, really free my spirit and do the kind of music that I wanted to do for years, but I wasn't feeling like capable of on an instrument, but I could do with my voice. And that kind of shifted everything for me musically because all of a sudden I had this like revelation where I was like, oh, like, I don't have to play to my lowest common denominator and write songs on an acoustic guitar because that's what I know how to play. And that shift kind of led me down a path of this kind of R&B, like pop music thing um, that I've always, always wanted to explore. And exploring that really kind of shifted the self-esteem for me. Um, being body positive is something that I faked for a long time. And I think there's a great deal of faking it until you make it kind of in that world. Um, you kind of start to look at other people who have fat bodies and see them as beautiful, see them walking a runway in fashion week, see them on the cover of, um, you know, Sports Illustrated, like Ashley Graham, or on the cover of, of Vogue, like like uh, Tess Holiday or rather Cosmopolitan. Um, you see these people um, and you see how beautiful they are and then you see beauty in yourself in a different way. But that definitely took a while. And um, being able to go on stage and perform these pop songs, these songs that are more like I'm up there in a leotard and I'm dancing and the audience is like living for it has really changed the way that I see my body and the way that I dress myself um, entirely. And it's something that, like I said, I started kind of exploring when I was right when I got off The Voice, which was in 2015. Um, but it wasn't something that I was, I still had the feelings of, of like body shame and also personality shame because I have a really big personality and I always have. And it's always been like, um, oh, there's like Sarah, she's so annoying. Like feeling of those feelings when you're like in, you know, in, in school and you're a kid and people are like, oh, you talk too much or oh, like, I don't like her for whatever reason, you know, and you get these like weird moments of shame that like follow you around. And suddenly, even though you're like on stage in front of like, you know, a thousand people shaking your ass in a leotard, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm dorky and stupid. And I like Bette Midler and I eat too many Doritos, like shameful, <laughs> weird sixth grade feelings. So um, I really tried to blast through those, not only in the work on this album, um, which became really spiritual for me and very healing, but, um, physically too. So that's a, that's the long, long story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the first track, uh, you know, hits you, you know, it's such a powerful song. I work for me. So from, from hearing you describe it right now, it's kind of like just a full catharsis, like starting oh, with this song. So I yeah. for me was actually the first song that Justin and I wrote together on the six man sessions. And it was like some scrap lyrics that I had and this idea that I had. So when I write, I'll have like a nucleus, if you will, where I'm like, well, this is the theme for the song. Like the idea is like, you told me I couldn't do this. Well, what do you think about me now? Kind of thing, you know? And, and, mm -hmm. and I had toyed around with the notion of I work for me, maybe like, I don't know, six months earlier or something. But a lot of times when you're writing, these things are like, they're, they're, uh, they come and go and you, you go through phases of liking them and thinking they're good and then thinking they're like total garbage that you're scared anyone will ever hear. So um, <laughs> that, that when I wrote, I worked for me with Justin and we brought that to the six man sessions and we 
um, sat in this theater and and played the songs, not like just performed, but they were played like the, the, the recordings that we recorded of them on the ship and people went crazy for the song and they had to like play it twice. It was so gratifying for me in so many ways because suddenly it was cool to be me. Suddenly it was cool to be like, like huge personality, huge, huge body, huge clothes, huge style, huge everything. Like, like, and, and, and prior to that, it was kind of just like, I, if you look, even if you look at my clothing style, if you looked back at pictures of me on the voice and then you look now, it was, it was much more like everything was like, like black and white and grays and like really subdued, not as, as outrageous, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was cool to be outrageous, I guess. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you own it. And, and like I said, it's such a powerful song. So it's not surprising to me that everyone wanted to hear that again. as Because it speaks to something I think that's very universal, right? To roadblocks and to doubt. Uh, I, I'm curious if there was a particular event or experience that you had that was emotionally on your mind as you were maybe writing or performing the song, if there was just kind of one one central uh, moment for you? Um, there's a lot of moments that flash through my mind. A lot. Um, I remember being, um, told by, I remember being, um, in the ninth grade and auditioning for a musical and not getting the role that I wanted and having the other girls that auditioned for the role, like corner me and just be like, Oh, like you thought you were going to get this role. Like you thought that you were going to like beat me at this. I remember being in college my freshman year and having my teacher voice teacher tell me, um, literally verbatim trying to run, trying to be a singer with a voice like mine was like trying to run a marathon with a broken leg. I remember working at um, Bath and Body Works in North Attleboro with the Emerald Square Mall because I'm from the East Coast. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember um, an employee that worked there. I was in the back and I was, um, I was, there was always like a lot of talk amongst women because we worked in like a very, everyone that worked there was female about their diets and what they were and weren't eating and how much weight they'd lost or gained or whatever. And I remember um, talking about how I like would lo- want to lose weight, but like love to eat junk food. And um, it, I remember this woman, Tracy, that worked there, like coming in the back room and I was eating Oreos and she like grabbed a couple of them and smeared them all over my face and was like, is that what you want to do? Is that what you want? Do you want to eat these? Do you need to eat these? See, you shouldn't be eating these and then you'll lose weight. I remember um, being told when I worked at Whole Foods by um, an employee in the prep foods department when I ordered something from behind the case not to eat pork because I'm ruining my body. Um, I mean, I just remember so many crazy things that, um, you know, uh, (laughs) The flash, you know, like boom, 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 like these memories. Um, You know, I remember being told like not to take $10,000 and make an album, but to like invest in um, a house or a car or to go to college, even though I didn't want to go to college. I remember being told like, 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 oh, so you think you're just going to like move to Chicago and like, like have a career as like a singer? Like you think that like, like, so you're the one, like, you're going to make it. And I, like, all those feelings kind of, like, weighed upon me um, and lurked there, like, in the back of my, in the back of my mind for a really long time, for, like, a really, really long time. Um, and I finally had this revelation that, like, none of those things are about me. They're all about the other person, the person that's saying them, and their own personal struggle with 
their fear of failure and their fear of success. And they're like, well, how come it's not me isms and not my own? And I don't care what they think at all. So why am I giving them so much importance and so much space in my mind when they probably haven't thought about me for 20 years? So that's kind of where the song came from. Right. Well, yeah, I also read that um, it was in part inspired by Pretty Women. Uh, <laughs> well, Pretty Women moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But what? Like, do you work on commission? Big. <laughs> Huge. It's like that. Because it's like, you know, those fucking people saw me on TV. You know, those people like, like, I literally remember getting um, a Facebook message from the voice teacher that basically told me I couldn't have a career in music and that I should just be a music teacher. Um, I got a message from like one of her friends um, mm. while I was on the voice being like, Oh, um, we're collecting like it's, she's retiring and we're collecting like letters from like all of her students. And like, she really loved you and would want you to write one. And I, I just didn't like, I blew it off because I just didn't have anything nice to say. So yeah, pretty woman moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm curious as, cause attitude is very important, right? You've really owned your attitude. Do you think that if you didn't have those moments to draw upon that, I mean, cause it seems like it crystallized a sort of strength in you. Do you, do you think that without those, uh, those hard uh, roadblocks and doubt that you faced and the voices that you've heard from even other people that you would have made it to where you are today? Um, I don't know where I would be or I wouldn't, I don't know per se, like made it to where I am, but I definitely wouldn't be making the art that I'm making and I wouldn't be the person that I am probably. And maybe I would be, you know, somebody else. I don't know. Maybe I'd be like, you know, um, I don't know, somebody, I've never walked in someone else's shoes. So I don't know. I can't imagine like not reflecting on these things and not, and not like having that kind of, they give you kind of a character in a way. Um, I actually, I remember, um, when I was on the voice and we were doing the battles, which is like when they put you in like a, <laughs> they put you in like a boxing ring <laughs> with like another singer. I know it's so ridiculous, but <laughs> And I remember being like very intimidated by the girl that I was going to perform a battle against because she had this like really incredible range. Um, but she was very young and she didn't have a lot of emotional depth to her voice. Um, and I remember uh, this passage in a book that said um, that your scars are more powerful than the swords that have caused them. And it, it really resonated with me because it was like, oh, like she's got a mighty sword, but I have these scars. And if I show these to people, they're going to be like in awe of them. And they're so powerful. And so all I have to do is just be myself and show people my scars and show people like my life and the truth and like the the things that have hurt me and the things that haunt me and the things that still bother me um, and the things that I've gotten over because everybody has those moments in their lives. And when you're performing and somebody recognizes 
what you're saying and they think, oh my God, how did they know? How did she know that I felt that way? How does this resonate with me so, so much? At the same time that they're feeling understood, they're understanding me, which is why they feel understood. And so I feel understood. And so that magic is something that's more powerful than anything, than anything out there. So there's just really, really like a magic in being yourself that I think is unstoppable. Right. No, I, I agree. Um, and it comes down to confidence in which you've, you know, you've really embraced yours. Uh, but you've also said that confidence scares people. Uh, can you talk to that a little? Sure. Oh, yeah. Confidence definitely can intimidate people in a, or put them off. Um, and, and, and I've had this experience where people will take me the wrong way or think like, oh, like that I, oh, she sort of like thinks a lot of herself or she's snobby or she's like super obnoxious. Um, and I think that it's just that when you're sure of yourself, it makes other people question themselves on a level and it also makes them feel like well like how come you're living out loud or like where did you get this confidence that I don't have that you know and it's like it just it just can make people kind of everybody every everything's relative so we're always like comparing ourselves to other people especially artists um you know it's always like well how come they're getting signed to this label or how come they're doing that cruise and I'm not, or how come they're doing this festival or whatever, you know? Um, and I think that you, I think that confidence, okay. Okay. I, I actually just had like an aha moment here. I think that confidence scares people who don't love themselves. And I don't mean that like in a way to put them down. I'm not saying they're unlovable. They're completely lovable. They could be the most lovable, the most wonderful, most amazing of people. But if you don't love yourself, you're always going to feel jealous and weird about what other people have. And now that I've finally come to truly love myself, I feel like I just can't be shaken. If, 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 if one of my best friends in the industry was like signed to a record label and opening for Lady Gaga, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, how come not me? I'm so jealous. I would be like, that's fucking really rad. And like, I want to do that, but I would be so happy for them. And I can truly tell you from experience, that would not have been the case a couple of years ago. So mm. people that are not, you, you can't love confident people until you love yourself. Yeah, it's really interesting, um, especially as asking the question of yourself, right? I mean, that's kind of what art is supposed to do, right? So music is to get you to, to look inward. Um, and your music certainly does that. Oh, so, well, I mean, I do yeah. a lot of functions, but of, 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 of all different kinds of music for me, it's, it's very spiritual work. It's very like, I'm just like kind of self medicating here with it. But I, the fact that it, other people are enjoying it and it's resonating with them is amazing. Yeah, what I like so much about it is it, it really is kind of a call to arms, right? Like to own yourself, to to embrace yourself and to be that confident self so that you can get out there and do the work that you want to do, whatever that is for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important because it's like, look, like, what do you get? Like 80 years maybe, you know, and like 60 of them where you're really like working and doing your work, maybe, maybe, you know, and if you spend all that time worrying about 
what, not just worrying about what other people think, but like worried about what you think and not able to like, you're not able to push down those, those roadblocks and, 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 and just create. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be art. It could be anything. Like you could be like, Hey, like I love to cook and I like to make tacos. I want to open this food truck and make these kind of tacos. And then like, you'll be like, no, I can't. That's a stupid idea. I'm stupid. I'm, you know, you need to like, I just feel like everyone would be so much happier if they would just let go of that self-bullying because for what, what are we doing that for? You know? Absolutely. So I guess that's why it's kind of a call to arms in a way. And I see it in women a lot, especially. And it's something that I didn't, I didn't always pay attention to. You know, I've always been like, kind of like the kind of girl that's like, oh, I'm like loud and funny. So I'm like one of the guys. So I have a lot of guy friends. And I didn't realize until, you know, a few years ago that it was like, wait, like women are really neat and we get like marginalized a lot and like put to the side. And even I put like women to the side because I'm like not like I'm like oh like they're not being like as interesting because they're not like as confident but women are just not like raised to be as confident and when you actually become really close friends with like I become really close friends with some some women especially women in the industry um it's really changed my life and enriched my life in a way that I'd never really thought about um and it's it's really really cool to have that sisterhood but also it's like i see us struggling with the same the same things because we're really taught not to be funny and not to be loud and not to be expressive i mean we really are i watch women at festivals um i watch like on rock boat right you'll see these guys um or like at any festival, you'll see guys um, um, at their sets. And if there's not a lot of people at their sets, they're just like, oh, well, I don't know what happened. And how come there wasn't like a bunch of people? And women will have the same amount of people at their set. And they'll be like, oh, my God, I'm so grateful. I can't believe how many people like came out to see me. And I'm just like so humbled because we don't think that we are worth it. We don't think like we deserve as much. When I started making um, my album, I was shocked to uh to see when when we started hiring musicians to be on the album we hired about a little bit more i think we probably like 75% to 25% men uh women women more women than men to, to perform on the album and help us produce and engineer and do everything on the album um and the when you would ask a guy like what do you what like the producer would be like what's your day rate their day rate would be like three times the day rate of the women's and the women, the guys would be like, this is what my day rate is this. And the women would be like, um, it's somewhere in this range ish as if to like not offend by asking for money. Yeah. It was like mind boggling to me. And I thought, Oh my God, I do the same thing. I, I undervalue myself because I'm so afraid that the festival owner won't book me or that the person won't like me or that I'll emotionally offend them by asking for so much. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you and you're you're really 
because you have such a powerful voice, because you've you've got your confidence, is, is this going forward for you as far as it relates to the biz? Is this going to be like a big push, something that you hope to champion? Oh, absolutely. It really is something I feel like, I guess I could say I feel artistically drawn. Like it's, it's definitely a, a muse for me. And I have to follow that because that's the key ingredient. It wouldn't matter if I'm rapping. It doesn't matter if I'm singing a country song. It doesn't matter if I'm in a musical. Without the key ingredient of the muse, um, and not a specific muse, could be any muse, whatever is inspiring me at the time, if I do not respect that and I don't follow that, um, there's nothing. I just don't do good work. So if this is what's inspiring me right now, I will probably follow that to wherever it leads me. And that might not be... That might be another album full of this kind of material. It might be another album full of these kinds of themes and a completely different medium. It might be an album of this medium and completely different themes. I don't know where to lead me. And I just have to respect that process because considering what the audience wants to hear um, does them a huge disservice. It's like you just underestimate people and then everything sounds the same. Mm. So it really needs to start from following your own muse uh, inspiration and then making something that you know is uniquely you and then letting that reverberate out to the audience. Yeah, it has to start there. Like there's no other, it has to start with something that sparks something in me. That's like, oh my God, I want to express this idea. And then mm. it starts to go from there. And if it doesn't, I can't do it. Like I can't write songs for, for like, commercials or write songs for like if somebody's like well this is like the theme and it, I mean unless I was inspired by it I don't think I could and I don't like to work within boundaries in terms of like it has to be this kind of a song or it has to be upbeat it has to be downbeat it has to be this long you have to do this you have to I just it that none of that um I find none of that very inspirational so it just has to come from whether it turns out to be unique or not it It'll it'll be unique in the sense that it was inspired by by something true inside of me. So it might not be like the most unique song, or it might be. I don't know. I just know I have to start with something that moves me, and then I can go from there. Gotcha. Does is that normally like you know I've talked to uh, a few songwriters and musicians and uh, sometimes their work starts with what they call a song seed. It could be a way someone responded to them or a lyric or something like that. How how do uh, as someone who's writing their own music and it's coming so internally? How does how does a song start for you? Um, I would definitely say a song seed is kind of what I was talking about when I was saying I have like a a central idea like the I work for me. However, I would say I'm careful now uh, about being too attached to the song seed because the seed will grow into whatever kind of tree or plant or whatever it wants to grow into. And I can't try to control that and trying to control that too much by saying, well, it has to have this line in it because this is such a clever line. Um, doesn't work. You'll spend a lot of time forcing something to happen that doesn't happen. So it just, it, 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 it's definitely like, for me, it's, 
toying around with an idea, but a lot of it starts from just being on input. So I'll listen to a lot of other music and whatever's moving me, I can, and I can kind of see myself in, it kind of starts there. And then I kind of start to like almost sing my own lyrics or my own things like over their music. And then it's kind of like takes, takes a shape or a life of its own and, and grows from there. Mm. What what was the input for I Work For Me? Was there a particular song or artist that w- had a major influence over the direction of that? Um, there was. Actually, I was listening to Lady Gaga had just put out Joanne, and there's a song on there. I literally can't remember the name of it um, because I don't listen as much for the songs, for like the names of them, as much as I listen to just the, the album and or whatever I like. And there was a song on there that had that like, like, hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You know, that clap, like that, hey, Mickey, th- kind of thing that we all think of. Like that beat, that boom, 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 boom. And I I remember taking a shower and having that on and being like, oh, I love that beat. And I love that. And I'd love to like do something over something like that. And then when I went on the writing sessions for Rock Boat, Justin, who I'd spoke about earlier, had a track that he had made that had that exact rhythm. Um, and it was just a piano track and he had had some lyrics for it, but he was like, the lyrics that I'm using are like about politics and like, it's just not working for me. And I agreed. Cause I was like, yeah, no, like they're not, it wasn't like really, ins- the music was inspired, but the lyrics were just kind of like neither here nor there. Um, and I took the track and wrote, took some lyrics that I already had, fit them into the track. Um, and then kind of just kept writing from there. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I I love hearing about uh, how the seeds and how the different songs impact uh, and how the whole process comes together. Um, Some days it's agony and some (laughs) some days it's like this victory. It's really about for me, I mean, because I agonize over it. I I had a really severe um, writer's anxiety over the last couple of years before this album. And um, sometimes it's it, it was it was really breaking that was really about finding my joy and just jamming on like my joy and finding the joy in the music um in a way like oh like like this is this is fun and I'm like enjoying myself um and just kind of jamming out that joy and 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 not being too stressed out about the outcome and that was something that, that writers six man sessions thing really taught me because it was like we had to write a whole album in like three days. And it would be like, whoa, dude, it takes me like three years to write an album. I'm so stressed. How are we going to do this? And it was like, you just shut up and do it. You have it. Mm. Do it. It's done. Like you go in a room with a writer for a few hours and you like have to come out with a song. Then you start to, you stop nitpicking and you start to like let go and, and not obsess over all these things that sidetrack you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just has to be done. So that really helped me to kind of see that like I could write if I would just like sit down and stick to it and like make that happen. Right. So I, I'm really curious about the title road to Rome. I immediately thought of the saying all roads lead to Rome, which is a way of saying that all roads and paths lead to the center of things. I was this in the intended symbolism or where did the idea come from? And you're like the first person ever to get that. So everybody like <laughs> writes Rome like R O R R O M E Rome? No, not Rome, that's Rome. I'm sorry. Rome like how do you spell the other Rome? Don't judge me. Don't 
<laughs> well, I, I'm not going out on a limb either. I'm the worst, dude. I, why can't I think of it? O-A-R-O-A-A-M. Yeah, like everybody. And I'm like, what? That's not what I said. So there's this Bethany Frankel book. I know it's super crazy. Bethany Frankel is a reality TV star. Um, she was on like The Apprentice. And um, I think she was on like Real Housewives and a bunch of stuff. Anyway, um, she has this book. And I honestly can't even remember the name of it. But I listened to it um, on Audible or whatever because I um, am not a <laughs> obviously by the way I spell I'm not really good at reading but I like listening to books so um, I, I I listened to her book and she had this whole chapter that was like all roads lead to Rome and the chapter was about the fact that like there are no like mistakes. There are, but like, who cares in a sense that like all of your mistakes, there just aren't any, they're going to lead you to where you're going. So whether it takes you until you're like, you know, a hundred or it takes you until you're 40 like me, or it takes you until you're 20 or you, you know, we get in these things in our heads where we're like, oh, um, I, I have to like, I have to know everything and I have to like, I can't, I'm making mistakes. I'm wasting time. I'm falling behind. And all that stuff like leads to this toxic buildup of more wasted time and more like delays and more self-doubt. And I'd spent a lot of time in that cycle, not just in the cycle of, of, of did I waste time, but wasting time, you know, um, fucking around, working at bars, um, being more interested in people I was dating than my career, um, being afraid and not launching my career, being, um, being unable to be the person that I am today and thinking that because I wasn't that person at the time that I was like 25, that I was wasting time, but I can see clearly that that was just my path and I couldn't have been the person that I am now then. And I can see that in my, in my ideal, you know, scenario of my life, I'm that person, like when I'm 15 and then I'm, you know, famous and everything's great, you know, but, um, embracing your own path and embracing those mistakes and, and, and whatever you want to call them and, and really embracing the idea that all roads lead to Rome. Um, really frees you from that kind of self-doubt. And so that's kind of where the whole concept came from. Um, the album has a lot of central ideas that are themes that come up throughout the album. Like um, in Road to Rome, the song, I'm talking about, you know, I'm, I'm free now and I can hear my song. And then in like Dickerson and Queen, I'm like, all these people keep talking to me and I can't hear my song. And I guess what I meant by song isn't like my song, like actual song, but like my song. Like I can't like hear who I am and, and, and be myself and just live in that because you, there's all this outside noise. And Road to Rome is just, um, it's about like shutting all that noise out, your own noise as well, and just moving forward in any direction. Because all directions are the right direction. Hmm. And I know we touched a little bit on it, but it, 
do you now that you've fully embraced your song and then you have that confidence does does old self-doubt still creep its way back in here and there or have you just found a way to really kind of bend it to your will so to speak um there are definitely things um, that i that, that that can get to me um I would say the things that sometimes get to me that's a little bit of old self-doubt are career things and music creatively. Um, I definitely have some self-esteem issues or not even self-esteem issues. Um, I have some capability issues when it comes to music. I am an extremely capable singer and a really capable writer but I'm not um, a cap as capable on an instrument. So there's kind of this lost in translation thing that will happen that is extremely frustrating to me. And I will want certain things to sound a certain way. And I am, because I'm unable to do that any other place than my own head, um, it is something that can give me anxiety. Um, but maybe it's not self-doubt it's just i get anxious about it because i i want to be able to clearly express my ideas and my inability on on the piano or on a guitar um or on drums or bass or whatever it is that i'm trying to do can just make me feel like how do i get this idea from my head into like reality you know mm -hmm. it, it's right. almost like it's like being a designer and then you have to have like somebody else like draw for you <laughs> you know, telling them like what to do it's hard um so that can be something that i get a little anxious about but i i definitely don't have the same self-doubt i used to have um things that kind of can be the same for me are like okay so i live in nashville which is 1100 miles away from providence rhode island where i'm from like my dad that just called he has parkinson's and um it sucks because, like, I want to be there with him to spend time with him while I can and while he's able to, like, go and do things. And also, like, there are things that he needs help with, and I would like to be able to help him with those. Um, and being here definitely puts a lot of pressure on being here because it's like if my career – if I'm not benefiting from being na in Nashville, then why am I not there? So everything mm -hmm. is kind of measured against that as far as, like, right. is this important? So that can be like a lot, a lot of pressure that I put on myself. Um, and that's definitely hard. And then also like my career has its ups and downs. I mean, last week I was on a cruise ship singing for like 3000 people with Melissa Etheridge and I'm going to the West Coast next week and my shows are sold out, but they're very small shows. And a lot of them are house concerts, which I love but I'm just playing an acoustic guitar and an electric guitar and like singing. And it's not like with my big full band and my leotards and doing my thing. It's more of like a behind the songs, like VH1 storytellers kind of thing. And sometimes I get frustrated because I want the full band all the time and I want the big venues and I want the big crowds and to be signing the CDs and to be dancing on stage. And you know what I mean? And, and it feels frustrating to me to have to kind of like, do things more stripped down sometimes because I, because of, of finances, you know, like if it's just me and my husband playing music at a show and we make a certain amount of money, it's a lot better for me to be able to pay my bills than if I have a full band and I lose money. 
So there's only like mm-hmm. certain scenarios where I can afford to have like a six piece band, you know? And so that kind of frustrates me because I would love to be further along in terms of the amount of fans that I can bring out and be able to bring those shows the way that I want to present the music um, all the time. And I find a lot of love in the performing acoustic and the stripped down thing too. It's really, really cool. It's just that when I'm playing guitar and singing at the same time, it's like being in two worlds because the singing lives in my heart and I can just do it effortlessly. And the guitar I have to think about, so I'm in my head. And so it's like, how do you live in both of those worlds at the same time, you know? So it's not as, as I guess I should say, it's not as easy and it's not as fun. You know, I don't get to like slap on a leotard and some press on nails and just like rock a stage and roll around on the floor and have my diva moments because I have to <laughs> play guitar. So it's 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 cool, um, but it's definitely, those those are things that, I still struggle with that I've always struggled with. Um, But they're the same things, you know, and and looking back at my time 10 years ago, um, if I told myself what I was going to be doing right now, if I, if I had seen a daily like glimpse into my life, you know, it would be like at that time, just a dream come true, but we always want more. We always want, you know, the next level. And I think that's why sometimes people that have made it, you see them and they're, so dissatisfied or have problems with drugs and alcohol and stuff and and their suicides and you think well how could that how could like how could amy winehouse have overdosed when like she had everything that i wanted well it's like but then what you know how do you grapple with that so i don't really know because i've never been there and i hope i always stay hungry and i always stay thirsty because um i like love being creative and i think that there's a lot of drive that comes from that. If you could do whatever you wanted, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Right. I mean, some people are amazing at it. Look at Beyonce, you know, some people, they have it all and they're like still hustling and working. And I hope I would be like that, but yeah, life's weird. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, you've done, like you said, so many different types of performances. I mean, uh, you've sung in front of crowds at iconic venues, such as, Bluebird Cafe and the Grand Old Opry, and then in front of 12 million people for The Voice. So I, I know you kind of touched on what performing was like for you as far as when you've got the guitar in hand and singing, and it's uh, kind of that duality there that's uh, tough to bring out uh, you know, the emotion. But what is, it, what is it like for you in general performing? Do you ever get nervous? Do you have a pre-performance routine or ritual? I never get nervous. Um, if I don't perform, that's when I get, like if you like, like, you know, if you like leave your dog home alone or don't take it for a walk and then it like chews up stuff, they get like destructive because they don't get to run. And for me, it's like running around. I have to get out and run around the yard or I'll get destructive. So I, I never get nervous. I really thrive on performing. I love performing. Um, prior to performing um, every night, something that I really enjoy doing is putting on my makeup. I really love putting on makeup and doing my hair and getting dressed for the show. It's something that I do at the venue, even if it's like a house show, I'll just do it like in someone's bathroom. It's the only time that I get to be alone. That's kind of justified. If I'm sitting around like in a green room or like by myself, um, it just kind of feels like wasted time. And it kind of feels like I'm just sitting there and I get like tired and I'm not getting ready for the show. So I like to get ready for the show right before the show. It like really is very 
it's very like calming to me and it just is like I don't know it's part of it it's like you know like I'm I'm uh I'm Sarah Crossman that's my married name and then I like transform into Sarah Potenza and like you know get in like an outfit that I would like never wear to like CVS but I would wear on stage and it's it's really cool it's really special right if uh, if you haven't had a show then in say a week or so, does your husband Ian just or are you just in the kitchen just just like all right it's coming out? <laughs> sort of. Um. Yeah, I I'd say about two weeks is the period of like time where I'm like I get really itchy for it. Um. I like to. It depends on like if I'm home and I'm writing. Writing and stuff is really good and that helps me a lot. Um. And I go out, but I'm more likely to like want to go out and drink and like you know be more destructive than if I'm performing. Yeah, I definitely get more cranky. The performance for me is so much love, but it's also so much anger. There's so much passion on the stage and everything that I'm doing that it just gets all of that out of my system. I scream it out. I sweat it out. I, I, I cry it out. I sing it out. I shout it out. It's all, it's all out there, whether it's, the love, the joy, the hate, the anger, the peace, the the sorrow, everything. And I just throw it up, you know, all over everything. And then I feel like sated and like, I just want to eat smart food popcorn and watch like Golden Girls reruns again, <laughs> you know, which I can only, I love, I like, I, I'm, I'm 39 and I love just like chilling at home with my cats and stuff, but it's definitely like only a certain amount of that before I get bored. Mm. sorry guys no don't look at me like that <laughs> yeah uh, that 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 they won't take it personally i hope the oh my god <laughs> <Can't stand it. laughs> so you wrote the song earthquake for your husband ian um who you've been playing music with since you were teenagers so this is kind of like a, a two-part question for yeah, you sure. uh were there any arguments about the music choices at your wedding <laughs> And then on an unrelated question, what contributions has he made to your music and creative <laughs> Um, At our wedding, one of the things that was a thing was that like we had a DJ because my mom like paid for it and I wanted a live band, but she was like, no, I know somebody getting this DJ. And we end up with this DJ and the DJ was like, I want to bring the party. And we were like, no, everybody has to listen to Bob Dylan. And everyone was like, bummer. And then uh, we finally were like, fine, just play whatever you want. And he played like Madonna and the electric slide and everyone was happy. But, um, yeah, uh, the music, um, Ian's made a lot of contributions to the music a lot. Um, but Ian's musical taste is very different than mine. So we have a very different, like, aesthetic that we like. Ian is very subtle. Ian doesn't like loud. Ian doesn't like, particularly really care that much for singers um, that are like really, he likes very subtle lyrics. He likes very like Wilco-y, like, like, like Nels Klein guitar playing or Bill Frizzell or like, like if he likes lyrics, it's like Father John Misty. And I, and like, he likes like Elliot Smith. And I'm like, that is not what I do. And so we did write together for a really long time. Um, and I felt obligated to, um, uh, like I in to invite him to like, like write with me as a way to have a creative outlet. 
And I think that that was wrong. Um, at the time, it felt to me like um, the right thing to do in a way. It was like, well, I have, I we should write together, like of course. And then it became like a, we should write together because like, like you put in so much work and so did I into like my career. So like I owe you this. But the thing is, is that like. Ian is a brilliant musician um, and he's a brilliant artist. He's so creative, but just like me, Ian's creativity comes from what inspires him. And he's not inspired by the same things that I'm inspired by. And because of that, it creates a compromise situation, which is great in marriage, but not great in art. So this album was so unique in that it was the first album of mine that was truly mine. It was the first album in which I told him, hey, listen, I want to be the boss of like what goes on this album in a totally different way than before. And I don't want your creative input when I'm when, when we're first. I don't want you to come and create until it's time to like put guitar on it because you're I'm going to feel a pressure to like let your ideas make it to the album whether i think they're the right idea for the song or not because you're my husband and i don't want to feel like that and i want to do what's right for the song always and these are songs that like i wrote that are about my experiences and i just don't think that anybody other than me can navigate the what ends up on the final page in the drawing of the song you know and then when he came to do the studio musician work or be creative on guitar, it became even more difficult because it was clear that we did not really define what him coming into the studio and playing guitar was going to be. And business as usual is that he comes in and plays guitar and I just let him play whatever he wants on the songs. Yeah. Um, on this particular album, that was not the case. And we had like a really like a day where I, I like just started sobbing and I went and like sat in like the, the one of the bedrooms that's in the studio and he came in and I was like, look, if you were anybody else, I wouldn't have you in the studio because you're not listening to me and expressing the ideas that I want to express. And I understand that you want to express yourself on these songs, but I just don't have the space for that on these songs. It's just not the time and place. And I, and I need you to be a studio musician. I need you to play what I'm asking you to play, not what you want to play. And I need to inspire you to give me all of your ideas and then let me pick through them and pick what I want. And, and inspire you with the lyrics and inspire you with the songs. And I need to be there in the studio and like really guide what's happening on this album. Um, and he was like, I am here for you and whatever you need, if that's what you need for this album, let's go do it. And that's what we did. And it was really, really incredible. Um, and that's kind of like the, the story of, of earthquake and the story of our relationship in that way, you know, um, I would be so thrilled if he would, um, 
get his own project going on or, or make his own album even. It's not about touring or being successful or not. It's about art, artistic expression. I think that that's something that he needs. I'm not sure if he's ready to do that himself or not, but like he's such a brilliant artist and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know it. He'll say that he knows it, but I know he doesn't know it. And he, um, he needs a place to express that. And me giving him a place to express that in my music was something that was not good for either of us because it wasn't honest. I didn't want him expressing himself in that way in my music, but I wanted to allow him to express himself. So I let him, um, and that's not fair to him to be somewhere where he's not wanted. And it's not fair to me to have something I don't want in my art. So we've really had to like, um, get down with that. And that's something that, you know, when you've been married to somebody for 11 years and you've known them since you were like, you know, 16, um, those kind of revelations and that kind of honesty is what keeps a marriage together. It's what keeps a relationship really strong and really beautiful and really special. Um, because without that, um, you'll eventually self-destruct. So it was really, really, a very, um, it really moved the needle, I should say in our marriage, this album did. So, and I'm really grateful for that. And I'm really grateful for him and his humility and his ability to um, put those needs of mine first, um, you know, because um, that's what I needed. And I, uh, it, was, it was really incredible of him. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's good to see how this all came, you know, full circle with this album, how that was kind of this catharsis, you know, for, for you. And, and it sounds like the relationship as well, too, and this uh, melding of both of your uh, talents, but the ownership, of course, of your yourself and your voice and your song. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool. And I mean, on stage, he's perfect on the songs. He rips and he dances and he's like live guitar playing and helping me write the songs. It's, it's That's not necessarily what I mean. I don't mean he's excluded from the process at all. I just mean the ultimate, like, the, okay, so this is my idea for a song. And this is what I want to do. Um, there are definitely times when he'll be like, what if we did this? And I would have been like, yeah, that's great. Where now I'm like, I don't really want it to go in that direction. Um, that, have, that have been, that shift has been like really, really amazing for both of us, I think. Because all of a sudden it was like, he stopped feeling this pressure to be 50% of something that he didn't know anything about. I mean, he can write his story, but to be 50% of writing my story, how's he going to do that when he's not me? No matter how close you are with somebody, you can write about them, but writing for them, you'll never be able to get as honest as I was able to with myself, you know? Absolutely. So uh, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit and talk about uh, your experience on The Voice. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> you you got to get, get it in there. Um, so hopefully none of these because, of course, you're asked, I'm sure, a million and one questions about that. Um, but I, I'm curious what it's like behind the scenes. You know, For example, did you get the opportunity to interact and learn from like the other contestants or musicians on the show? Yeah, the other contestants... Um, I learned a lot from, and actually Tanya Boyd Cannon, who was on the voice with me, um, she performed all of the, the background vocals on my album and performs with me live. She was on just on the Melissa Etheridge cruise with me. She performed on the rock boat with me. 
Um, I made some of the best friends that I've ever had in my life on that show, especially the women that I was able to uh, find a, a, a sisterhood with of being, you know, like a, a big singer, being a big diva. It was amazing to, um, to do that and learn. I, I, I learned so much. Um, so, so, so much, um, from these other women and these other singers and these other performers. Um, that was really, really one of the greatest, greatest things about the show. Was there anything you learned or re-examined about music, songwriting, or creativity in general uh, from those women, or your time in general there? Um, hmm. um gosh, uh, I guess I just, <clears throat> I really learned how to not be intimidated by other big singers and how to like share that joy and just share that as a celebration of, of us. And, 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 and less of a, like, get out of my spotlight kind of thing. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, you were on team Blake Shelton. Yeah. So would have he been your first pick? No, I actually had a four chair turn and could have picked anybody, but I made, <clears throat> I made a decision based on fear. And I realized after that decision and after that whole experience that decisions based on fear are always the wrong decision and to never make a decision based on fear again. I chose Blake Shelton because I felt that I would be unique on his team. And the strategy was to be like the only singer of my kind on his team. And that way I could um, make it through the battles and the knockouts and all that stuff, which worked. Um, but um, my heart when I was on stage was telling me to pick Adam Levine for whatever crazy reason. Um, and I didn't do it because my friend Tanya was on his team or was going to be on his team or had told us, we had kind of talked about who we would pick, you know, everybody. And I felt like I didn't want to battle against her. And I didn't want to pick Pharrell because my friend Kim was going to be on Pharrell's team and I didn't want to battle against her. Um, and um, I kind of produced the like my own path on the show and like strategized too much and I should have just followed my heart and done what I felt inside um and who knows what would happen I don't know what would have played out any differently and honestly I don't know that it would have really mattered um at all in the grand scheme of things because I feel like having been on there um you know uh winner or loser um, the exposure and the, and the friendships and the fans that I made, it, it all turned out pretty great. And I don't know that it would have been any more impactful for my career or not. I'm just telling you that I knew I made a decision based on fear and it didn't feel good. Yeah, no, that's, that's important. And, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I've only watched a couple episodes of The Voice myself. So I only have a vague uh, understanding of how the show works, but I find it really interesting that, uh, as you've described it, and as I did a little research before we spoke about the battles and the fact that part of this fear was also that you have friends that you've made here, and you know that eventually you have to battle, and that if one wins, that means the other loses. It's definitely weird. I mean, it's business, and business is business. So that's you know, business is business, um, and we all understood that. And, but it just like, you definitely become really close with people and, um, it's hard. 
the hardest part about being eliminated from the show isn't like, oh, my hopes and dreams are shattered. It's really like leaving your friends behind because you become a family in a way and leaving that behind and they're all still like on there and continuing with, with the season and you're just like going home. That was the hardest thing. All right. Uh, like, like a traditional music tour you go on that the, the tour just ends early while everyone else is still out yeah. there singing. So it was just really, that was really like hard. It was, that was, that was hard. It was heartbreaking. And I had post-traumatic stress uh, from it. Um, I know that sounds crazy. A lot of people are like, oh, post-traumatic stress. How I know, how you know, I guess how you know that you have post-traumatic stress from something is when you think about the memory and you feel it in your gut, like you feel it. You don't like just think about it. It makes you feel kind of sick to your stomach or you have that, you know, you know what I mean? That reaction, mm-hmm. that's, that's, it's taken me a long time to get rid of that about the show. I, I would wake up in the middle of the night, just, just feeling this unbelievable urge to just like sob and I would just be sobbing. It was very sad. Um, it was really, really amazing. But for, for all of that, I will say the bigger the front, the bigger the back. It was just as amazing on the, on the front end. And in the end, it was just as amazing of an experience um, to get to have. And I would, I would never, I wouldn't trade it for, for the world. I wouldn't trade it to not have had that pain because I don't have that pain anymore at all. Um, when I think about it now, it doesn't hurt me in any way. I don't think what it could have, should have. I, I just, I look at it now and I was like, oh my God, I was so young. <laughs> it was only like five years ago. It just, it just feels like a whole nother world to me. Um, but it was a great, great experience. And, um, I mean, what a, what a bucket list item, you know? No, absolutely. Uh, and it really takes us back to the idea of Road to Rome that you, you know, cause I don't know that you have this album now from what we've been talking about, perhaps without going through that kind of experience. I don't think I would have, I don't, I, I don't think, I think that kind of pain, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's, you have to respect it. And, um, because for as, as horrible as it is, yeah, those are definitely the kind of like, it's kind of a, like, you know, I thought it was a prison, but it was the vessel all along kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it seems obvious to say that being on The Voice opens doors that maybe were previously shut, but what has your experience in the biz been like, say, before and then since? Oh, it's it's a lot of, um, prior to, a lot of people would just ignore me or ignore my emails, and now they don't. Um, a lot of clout. So, like, for something, for example, like the Melissa Etheridge cruise, I mean, that lineup was proposed to her by the agents that booked the cruise, and she chose based on what she heard and what she saw. And I'm sure the voice was a selling point. Um, it's a selling point to a lot of people because they know that I'm going to bring a name. It's going to get press. Um, and I'm going to, you know, put some asses in seats. Um, and, and it's just been totally different. Um, prior to like, for example, I'm playing next week. Um, or is it next week? Oh my goodness. I'm playing on Thursday. Bridge <laughs> <laughs> Island in, in Seattle. And, um, that show will sell out. Um, and the local newspaper, two different papers ran an article about the show. Um, they wouldn't have done so without the voice. It just wouldn't be, they wouldn't have anything to write about. Even if it was five years ago, it's like, when, especially when you go to these smaller towns and stuff, it's like a big deal. 
And that's really helped open a lot of doors for me. And also, um, I was able to raise money. I did two different Kickstarters, one for um, an album in 2015 and one for an album in 2000 and this album, 19, um, that were hugely successful and really helped me to be able to, I mean, I wouldn't be possible. I wouldn't not have been able to make Road to Rome without the money that I received from my fans. Um, and we spent every dollar of it in like a whole nother, like 20,000 that I don't have, <laughs> but it, you know, it is what it is. You kind of play the credit card, like no interest game and just work and pay shit down because making an album and putting it out um, on the level that we did costs a lot of money, a lot. Absolutely. And, and maybe it's, maybe it's with that as, as part of it, but what, in general, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to be a songwriter or a musician? Um, don't expect it to be fair. You can just throw that out the window right now. Save yourself a lot of heartache a lot of grief and a lot of fucking time. Don't expect it to be fair. Know that the your best work comes from you, comes from the bottom of your heart, comes from you being true to yourself. Um, and do you. Don't, don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't try to hit some invisible target um, because by the time you get there, um, the target will have moved. Just, just do you. And, and, and do what you can do um, and um, try to celebrate the small victories because there's going to be a lot of small victories that, that in the end um, will put you somewhere that you can't believe. Um, but it's, it's a lot of small victories all the way up. And get used to failing. Failing is like really an important part of the process. Um, it's an important part of, of learning. It's an important part of reaching getting out past your skis and kind of reaching out further than you should, or you can't, or what you're not even should, but what you're capable of achieving in, in, in the moment. Um, and hearing no a lot, but always learning from that and going back more prepared. I auditioned for the voice three times and I got told no every single time. And then they called me on the phone and asked me to come audition out of the blue. So you never fucking know. And they saw me on YouTube performing at a show as like a substitute for this other band that canceled. And, you know, I could have showed up last minute and not dressed up and been like, oh, I'm just subbing and given like a half-assed performance and never gotten a call. But I showed up and I gave 100%. Show up and give 100%. And there are definitely going to be a lot of nights when you play and there's like two people there. Um, play for those people. Just play for as many people that will listen and all roads lead to Rome. I love it. Yeah. So one of our goals is to share good creative work. With this in mind, is there something that you feel is very shareworthy in particular? It could be a film, app, album, song, or some cool tool or product? Oh, interesting. Um, um, does it have to be something that's like uh, usable in a way? Like... No, it could literally be anything. Anything touched with a brush of creativity. I think um, I I recently um, listened to the book Shrill. Um, and I actually, I'm ashamed to say I didn't listen to it earlier, but I listened to the book Shrill by Lindy West because I watched the show Shrill on Hulu. 
Um, and it was really, really amazing and incredible. Um, it's about being a fat woman and, um, you should check it out. It's really, really, really special. Hey everybody, before we get into our lightning round, just a quick announcement. Did you know that we record additional lightning round questions with every guest who comes on the show? It's unaired and exclusive for our Creative Lightning newsletter subscribers. These quick Q&As were designed to elicit actionable insights to help spark your imagination and propel you beyond your creative blocks. We uncover favorite resources and books and tackle issues relevant to all creators such as how do you stay motivated when it's hard? How do you generate your best ideas? How do you know when an idea is the right idea? What do you do when you are creatively blocked? To get our guests' answers to these questions and more, join the free email list at nextcreatorup.com slash creativelightning. And now, on with the lightning round. So what is the most important part of your creative routine? Um, space. Time and space. How do you think you differ from other creative people in your genre? Uh, I don't give a fuck. That's going to be my favorite answer ever. I might literally just put that as a loop on my phone when uh, someone calls well, me. I mean, that's honestly true. Like, I know so many people that think so much about this external stuff. Not even just external, but they think about, yeah, they just think about the end product and they think about, like, who's going to buy it. And I'm just like, eh, I don't, when I think about that, then nobody buys it. That doesn't work. Right. Yeah. How do you think one can expand one's creative mind and abilities? Um, by not giving a fuck, honestly. Playing. Playing, and I don't mean playing like playing an instrument. I mean being playful. Like, um, when I'm writing, I'm like playing around with stuff. I'm like moving bridges and verses and choruses. And what if this sounded like that? Or Everything's playing. Everything's just playing. With no let go of like time frames and outcome. And just just play. And just start to look around you at the world. and. Don't take it all so seriously. How do you know when an idea is the right idea? I just feel it in my gut. It just hits with me. It's like when I put on an outfit and I'm like, okay, earrings, necklace, bandana. Nope. The bandana was too much. It just pings. It's just like, boom, boom. It just has a ping. It has, a, it resonates with me. Um, and perhaps we touched on this question a little earlier as far as putting on uh, the makeup before the show, but what's something you do to ignite your creativity or get into a creative zone? Um, I love to like listen to the songs that I'm going to play, especially if I'm doing full band, I'll make like an iTunes like playlist, uh, um, in the order of the set and just kind of like listen to the set and feel the set and feel like where it's highs and lows are and where it needs to be and make it like perfect. And then also kind of make my costume choices. And based on that, like based on the set, I love to like organize like what I'm going to wear for what songs are the costume changes, like what's happening and all of that. I love moments. I love show. I love camp. I love big, like showy, like Bette Midler, you know, like that kind of stuff. So it's, that's, that's something that uh, really gets me into it is like thinking of the show as like a cohesive piece of art that somebody comes to see like a movie and they leave. And I, I don't want to say I was able to manipulate their feelings, but I was able to, give them what they were looking for, what they came to find and more and leave them feeling with the experience that they are still thinking about and feeling good from and feeling from and 
to leave them with something that moved the needle for them in some sort of a way. When I'm feeling unmotivated, it helps me too. Um, it helps me to uh, lean into that. And what I mean by that is when I'm feeling unmotivated, that's fine. As long as when I'm feeling motivated, I work and I empty that out until I feel unmotivated again. It's not about forcing yourself to be motivated. When I'm feeling unmotivated, it's like my if my cell phone battery is on low, I got to put it on the charger and just leave it on there, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I got to do sometimes. What do you do when you feel creatively blocked? Listen to music, put myself on input. Listen, there's output and there's input. And output, you know, is when you're creating, and input is when you're, you know, they don't call them your influencers for nothing. So there you go. I have to listen to a lot of music, listen to books, um, go uh, think. I guess what I meant before about time and space was like, I need the time and the space to think and reflect on my life and reflect on experiences. And when I listen to a song, let's say I love the beat of this song and it's getting me thinking about lyrics. And then I have this one idea. I have to delve into that idea. Like, what does I work for me mean? And those memories, I need to like find them and they have to come back to me. And then I have to express them. And then sometimes I have these great lyrics that don't fit the right thing. And I'm saying, okay, these lyrics, I know that they're great. And they're like the thing that I want to use because I like the way they sound, but they're not the lyric for this because they're not expressing this particular vantage point on this opinion. Hmm. Has anyone ever given you any words of inspiration that you would like to pass along to others? Um, when I was, uh, when I was first starting out in the music biz, I, I played a concert and my grandma was there and she was like, she basically just told me to enjoy it, to just enjoy it. And to like, she knows that I'm really driven and want to make it to the top, but to just enjoy what I'm doing um, because it's just going to go by so fast. And that's something that I've, I've thought about a lot, especially recently as we've gotten a little bit older and it's like, wow, you know, it's really, uh, it's definitely, um, worth enjoying. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and for, uh, sharing your story and, uh, your road to Rome. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for taking the time. Of course. um, And we're going to get it out there to our listeners. Hey, listeners. I hope that um, y'all listen. My fans call themselves the Diamonds. So I hope the Diamonds are are, uh, out there listening to this. And um, I hope that they enjoy all your podcasts and what you do. It's really special and really cool. And I'm honored to um, have gotten to spend an afternoon sitting on my couch with my cat just chatting with you about me. I mean, I love talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) It's all of our favorite subject, yeah, right? Yeah. How great is that? <laughs> uh, no, I, I couldn't be uh, more excited, and I had such a great time. Uh, for anyone who's not a diamond, um, where can everyone find you, Sarah? Um, you can find me on Instagram at I am Sarah Potenza, 
because my cousin, Sarah Potenza, has the Sarah Potenza Instagram. And even though she has no followers and never posts, she claims she doesn't know her password and she won't give it back. <laughs> so I am Sarah Potenza. Um, I also have a website, sarahpotenza.net, not the .com. Um, the .com is owned by somebody that sells lotions in another language. I do not know what those lotions do. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm on Facebook, Sarah Potenza Music, I think it is. Um, just Google me. I'm very Googleable. There's a Facebook group called Sarah Potenza's Diamonds that um, this woman named Stacy runs. Um, it's a fan club. Um, it's pretty cool because she, um, girl, this this woman posts pictures of me before these pictures are even taken. I don't know where she's getting from. You know, <laughs> everything about me, and I love Stacy. She's great to the fans. She always lets them know where I'm playing, and if they have questions for me or something, she um, has my email, and so she will. Um, she'll uh, reach out to me for them and um, whatever it is they, they need, we'll, we'll get it to them, you know? So find me Absolutely. out there, man. I'm very Googleable. Perfect. Well, thanks again so much, Sarah. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, the best way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes. This helps us reach a wider audience, which enables us to attract more interesting and inspiring guests for future episodes. And if you want to learn more about today's guests and to find the links and resources we discussed, check out our show notes at nextcreatorup.com and click on the link for this episode.